Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cloud Conversations. This is episode 23, and I'm Peter Rising, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you all to our show today. And we're going to start with some absolutely fantastic news, which I couldn't be happier to share with you. Uh, as, we, as we record this, it's actually in breaking the fourth wall here. It's the 1st of September, but this goes out on Friday. <laughs> but um, little insider secrets there. But <laughs> as we record this, Rue, my good friend, has received the fantastic and well-deserved news that he's been awarded as a Microsoft MVP in Enterprise Mobility. So absolutely fantastic, well-deserved. And uh, Ru, how are you feeling? I appreciate it. Yeah, no, really good. Uh, excited, weird, uh, a whole bunch of different emotions. You know, it's it's. I've had a crazy year. Like, it's funny because mm. I was looking at my calendar for the last 12 months and it's like every month there's just been some kind of whirlwind crazy event and this kind of just accumulates in the MVP award. Uh, but it's all good stuff, right? And it's uh, it, it's funny because I've, uh, going back to working in kind of internal IT, you kind of look at MVP with a degree of mystique, right? Because I remember reading when I was studying things like Windows Server and you'd read books by guys that are no longer MVPs, guys like Mark Manazzi. And it's like you get the inspiration from them and now it's like, oh, you're one of them. And it's just a strange feeling and you hope that you can live up to the kind of the badge that comes with it. Mm. Uh, and hopefully we are. And obviously I need to thank you uh, in large part for this because obviously you've supported me through this whole journey. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and I'll always sing your praises for it. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure, my friend. An absolute pleasure. Get my teeth in. But, um... <laughs> Good stuff. But anyway, this show... Uh, it isn't about me. Uh, we're, we're delighted today to be joined uh, by our guest, uh, Anna Shu. And I was about to introduce Anna and let you all know what Anna does at Microsoft, but I don't know how accurate that is anymore. So what I'm, <laughs> what I'm instead going to do is I'm going to hand over to Anna and I'm going to say, Anna, can you introduce yourself and uh, let folks know what you're all about? <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show, Ru. Hi, Peter. It's always good to see faces in the community. Um, yeah, so I kind of announced on Twitter that I uh, am stepping away from my role at the Microsoft tech community um, on the 31st, uh, last day of August. Um, Basically, I've, I've moved from marketing to engineering, and today is my first day in role as the PM for Power Automate and Power Virtual Agents. Uh, so shifting from marketing to engineering is certainly uh, a daunting task. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing yet, but I'm really excited. I'm very passionate about the Power Platform and what it enables people to do. So very excited about what we could be working on. And I'm certain that there's going to be a lot of connections to what I used to do around uh, community for, um, you know, Microsoft 365, as well as other things. Um, one of the things that I, was really important for me as I thought about my next role was uh, to have community at the heart of uh, the role, no matter what. I've uh, done the work at uh, the Microsoft Tech community for the last six years. And the thing that really energized me and kept me going was all the great community voices. Um, certainly, you know, really great, um, you know, uh, characters and individuals and people who are super passionate about the products, um, people who uh, have given us very constructive criticism about uh, our products as well. But hey, that's all part of the conversation um, so that we can get better feedback to help us create better products. Yeah, love it. No, it, and it's it's funny. It's something that uh, you know Pete mentioned. Opened the show by talking about the MVP thing. It's one of the things that, as we've had discussions with folk at Microsoft, has been quite uh, quite illuminating to me. Is that you guys want all the feedback, the good and the bad, the warts and mm -hmm. all. Yes. Uh, and you know, 
I guess it, it, it can be easy, right, to just throw all the negative feedback. Uh, we're all human at the end of the day. But I guess how, how do you then, how do Microsoft then process that feedback and, you know, take it and use it to make good products is always a question that folks are interested in. Yeah. Well, you can ask me this question in a month's time when I have a better feeling of it from an engineering point of view. But certainly yeah. from a marketing perspective, um, what I did uh, when I led the tech community was at least create the open channel so that the feedback can be funneled through an official forum, an official place where you know that people from the not only from Microsoft are listening, but people in the community are also uh, able to foster that conversation about particular features or ways that the, the products work. So I think, you know, like one of the things that's really important and, you know, I know that we're going to talk a lot about the Microsoft tech community because when Peter approached me for this podcast, it was very much about that um, to start with. Um, but the Microsoft tech community is having that as an official place for uh, people to congregate around these conversations is really important. People could talk on Twitter or Reddit or all sorts of other places, but you could be potentially talking into a vacuum uh, if nobody's really there who is accountable um, and responsible for making any changes around the product. So uh, it was really important for us to foster that. Trying to create one place for all community conversations is certainly very tough in a place like mm. Microsoft when there are so many different places that people like to, um, you know, have uh, send us feedback. Um, we're certainly going through a lot of change. I don't know if you're aware, but um, user voice used to be the one place that people would largely go to to send um, feedback, but Microsoft has made a decision to um, move away from user voice and uh, try and create one centralised place for feedback still in the works as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm. But yeah, like we are certainly trying to make way, uh, make a way for people to have one destination uh, to have those kind of conversations because, you know, as, as your, I would really hope for, you know, Peter to be having conversations about, you know, uh, M365 in the same place that he's having conversations about Power Platform potentially, because mm. we want to recognize you as one person, one human being, you know, you're, and we want to foster all the different learning um, that you could have about our products. Um, having, having to go to so many different places makes things very difficult. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And the, the the Microsoft tech community is an absolutely phenomenal thing. And um, you're I addicted to it, aren't you? you know I am. I mean, I've <laughs> I, I, I've I'm always on there, and uh, it it does become addictive. But uh, and trying to help people out is just it's it's just so nice to to try and help people out with uh, with, with the issues they come to to the tech community with. But I was having a look earlier today just to see, to see some stats, and I know it's grown phenomenally over the past couple of years. But mm -hmm. when I checked today, it's got six hundred and fifty thousand members overall mm -hmm. i believe and about 1.8 million discussions which is absolutely phenomenal i'm sort of interested in um can you share a little bit of, with us about what the genesis of it was how it got started how it's grown and evolved and and, and what it means to you personally Oh, yes. Let me give you a, a bridged history of the Microsoft tech community. Uh, <laughs> so we launched it in September 2016 at uh, Microsoft Ignite back when it was in, gosh, I think it was in Atlanta. I think anyway, that my memory escapes me because, gosh, we miss in-person conferences. I don't mm. even know what the inside of an exhibition hall looks like anymore. Um, yeah. But, uh, yes, Microsoft Ignite is um, the premier IT pro Develop a technical event that Microsoft runs every year, 
And uh, we usually see upwards of you know, 30,000 people attending these conferences in person. Um, but now we're doing everything virtually. So that's a, that, we can talk about that another time too. But um, mm. certainly uh, we launched it then. And before that, there's a whole... There's a whole story about that too. So uh, the genesis of the Microsoft Tech community actually started with an external Yammer network called the Office 365 network. And it was a, a community that, you know, was solely about Microsoft Office, Office 365. And um, it, at its peak, reached 80,000 members. Um, but we came to a crossroads and thought, you know what, we know that we're kind of stagnating. We're not growing as fast as we would like. Uh, we know there are some difficulties in getting people to um, get into the external Yammer network because uh, of IT admin um, settings that wouldn't allow people to access these external networks. But there was also so much goodness uh, being shared in the community itself that wasn't being indexed by search because you know you had to log in in order to find all of the information. You couldn't access the community uh, unauthenticated. So we also noticed that people were also having conversations about products outside of Microsoft, uh, you know, Office 365. Um, they were talking about Azure. They were talking about Dynamics 365. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we thought, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe we've gotten to the point where we need to one create a brand new community platform that allows for the community discussions to be available through search. So if you looked up, um, you know, uh, Microsoft groups, then you would actually be able to see those results through Google or through Bing. Um, we also thought, hey, like, let's actually open it up and make it a one Microsoft community, even though uh, we may not have the buy-in from every single product group just yet, but let's just start and see how we go. And hopefully if our results um, uh makes like if we could see that we've gathered the party together people will think you know what Azure's going to come to the party etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's exactly mm. what happened uh it was certainly a struggle in the first couple of years because we really had to prove ourselves and we were constantly mm. iterating on our feature set so um we started with all of the forums we moved towards blogs and we certainly saw a lot of popularity with our blogs uh much because the types of blogs that you see in the tech community are a lot different to what you would see on blogs.microsoft.com. And that's mm. because those articles are really designed to really make some moves on a media standpoint, um, whereas it, then they would never get down to the detail in terms of technical depth. Um, they wouldn't show you the massive screenshots that you need to see or in-depth videos or anything like that. Um, also, they don't really enable for commenting either. We really wanted to foster that kind of interaction. Mm. So uh, we enabled uh, that particular feature around blogs. We started adding more as we saw the pandemic really shift the way that uh, people wanted to engage through communities. Uh, events certainly was one of, a big part of that. So we started to do a lot more support for um you know, uh, technical readiness. And when I say technical readiness, I mean online on-demand training. And so launching the video hub on the tech community was a really big part of that. Because uh, mm. one thing that you may may not notice is that with a lot of events going virtual, like Microsoft Build, Microsoft Ignite, um, there is all sorts of great goodness that is shared there. But um, that site ultimately disappears once the new event comes around the corner. So we wanted to house a place where we could support, you know, on-demand uh, video access 
for technical content uh, 24-7, 365 days of the year. And certainly we're working on, uh, the team was working on archiving things that weren't, um, that were out of date. Um, but otherwise, uh, it was designed to be a platform to enable uh, IT professional developers, anyone who wants to receive and get updates of a technical nature to uh, stay connected to community as well as stay connected to news and uh, the experts at Microsoft as well. That, that's a really good overview in history, I guess, of how it all came together. And one yeah. of the things I kind of want to pick up that you mentioned there was it was a case of it was difficult or in a lot of cases you didn't really even have the time to get the buy-in from all the different teams prior to going live with it, right? Because yeah. it, it's... it's it's an interesting thing to me when I go online and I see folks say they they will say something like uh, Microsoft really needs to do X Y Z. Yeah. And when I hear that, I think, okay, when you say Microsoft, you're talking about an organization of a hundred thousand plus people. So it's kind of it, it's it's like a big city, and there's so many moving parts to it. Mm -hmm. You can't wait for all of those to kind of line up and join yeah. together before you go with stuff. And that's why I guess with Microsoft and as really tech in general gets bigger and bigger you just have to start somewhere right and it's yeah. not going to be perfect when you start it's going to be messy and you just have to stumble your way about it and figure <laughs> it out and then get better as time goes on because uh, that's always something that's fascinated me is how do you take a company that's so massive and then get everyone to buy into something like tech community because mm -hmm. it's really good in so far as the blogs you mentioned yeah I think almost all the, certainly my little bubble in security, it's great for always finding out the latest technical details about stuff like Defender or Intune or things like that. But mm -hmm. it's really been adopted across the whole company. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really impressive. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think with with working at Microsoft, there you definitely have to um, gain momentum, but you also need executive support in order to make sure that momentum doesn't slow down or get lost or just be more accelerated, just to grease the wheels, so to speak. Um, so, you know, we had a lot of support from, I mean, six years at Microsoft is honestly a lifetime, quite frankly. Um, if I think about the genesis of the tech community, we had a lot of support from then corporate vice president, Julia White, who's uh, since moved on from Microsoft. She works at SAP. Um, but having someone like that who understands the ethos of community and why it is so um, critical in the journey of someone who is an IT pro or developer. Having someone like that who gets it makes it a lot easier for you to push the community agenda and helping something like the Microsoft Tech community grow. Um, I've been on and observed many a project that had really great ideas and um, great foresight but ultimately died on the vine because uh, they just didn't have the level of executive, executive support necessary to keep mm. it going. And a lot of it is about funding, absolutely. But it's also show, giving project time to germinate and really develop and showcase its potential. Um, so, you know, we measuring the success of something is very important. I'm sure it's not unique to Microsoft, but certainly I feel it is absolutely important at a company like this. You need to prove yourself and you need to show the numbers and you need to give people an opportunity to showcase their own success so that they can say, hey, like what I did with the Microsoft Tech Community team was absolutely awesome. We were able to get these results and it, it helped set us up for future success, uh, you know, case of being, you know, ABC. 
So uh, one of the core tenets from an internal perspective about the Microsoft Tech Community was that it was a platform that enabled even anyone who worked on it, a, a marketing manager or someone from engineering, to be able to do their job even better. Um, so, you know, because we want to make sure that we are a platform that enables the success of others. And similarly, uh, conversely, that's kind of the same ethos that we have for externally for the community members. We want people who participate in the tech community to also be more successful in their roles, in their, uh, with, with any other um, technical objective that they have. Um, my hope is that anyone who participates in the tech community becomes, uh, you know, rewarded at MVP like Peter Rising did as a result of his participation in the tech community or was able to take away some nugget of information that helped them, um, you know, be a trusted advisor in their organisation to be able to say, hey, I also saw someone report on... Um, what's going on at the latest news around Microsoft Exchange or Microsoft Teams from the tech community. I was able to share that. I was able to confer with other experts on this um, topic from all around the world uh, and be able to be more informed in that perspective. So uh, I, I think, you know, when you have an ethos like that, it's only going to serve you well because everyone mm -hmm. wants to root for your success. And if that's the case, then it's a lot easier for you to, to get things going um, as well but yeah i could talk about the tech community for certainly <laughs> hours um yeah uh, there's a lot of goodness there there really is and there's so many good people who have embraced it externally mm -hmm. to microsoft and made it what it is and, and that's been key to its success and to name a few obvious names there's people like chris Hoard, adam deltinger linus cansby christian bergstrom more recently who was recently awarded mvp so many more names i could mention and and that's probably just in my little pocket of it the right. uh, where, where we tend to sort of gravitate more towards teams and um but it's just utterly phenomenal and uh, I, I think there's so much more to come from it and um whoever's Taking your place in in that role, Anna. They've got they've got some big shoes to fill. So thank sure you for do, yeah. all that you've done with it to get it to where it is, and um, it, it's just amazing. So thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you for participating. Like it's only because of people like you that it is as successful as it is. So thank you so much for all the hours that you've spent behind the keyboard helping answer people's <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, I was saying to Rue just earlier today. I I feel like I've had a bit of a month off, so I need to get back into it. Um, I've, <laughs> August has been one of my quietest months, um, MVP contributions-wise. So I think holiday time's over for me. <laughs> get, get back, get back to it, to the to the yeah. grind. <laughs> oh, you don't beat yourself up. You're still, you're still doing too much. But I, <laughs> one of the things uh, that we we talk about in the show is how folks kind of uh, get to where they are in their careers at the minute. And you know, uh, the tech community thing is is so unique mm. that it's not something i would imagine you kind of had a plan to end up there at some point so how did you you know how did you get into microsoft get into tech and then eventually being a kind of leadership in that tech community role oh goodness okay let's start from the very beginning <laughs> yeah, uh, go for it. i uh finished uh university um, and I just honestly didn't know where I wanted to go. I thought, okay, I've got a degree with a major in marketing uh, and tourism hospitality management. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I could go down the hotel and tourism route. But uh, at the time, 
the tourism industry was certainly taking quite a massive hit, as it always does. Um, mm. It's quite a resilient industry. Um, but I thought that would be, it would be probably more worthy for me to like lean into my marketing major a little bit more and uh, seek a role in marketing. Uh, I, you know, interned at a number of different places, but I landed ultimately as an intern at Microsoft Australia, uh, where I started my journey. And uh, I was an intern in the Dynamics uh, product marketing team. So I helped launch a bunch of different products, namely uh, Microsoft GP at the time and Microsoft Dynamics AX. These are oh, wow. all um, ERP products. Yeah. Uh, and when I was an intern, I had no idea what ERP products were. I didn't even know what it stood for. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, okay, well, all I know about Microsoft is Windows and Office. And so I'm looking at like the local store. I'm like, I don't know where I could buy Microsoft Dynamics. I was ex expecting an FPP product, right? You know, a fully packaged yep. product uh, on a shelf. Uh, and then uh, as I uh, delved deeper into intern, my internship, I learned a lot about volume licensing and uh, different other ways that people can purchase products and at the partner community and mm. how we uh, transact through partners and how much value add that partners can provide. Uh, so I started learning a lot about the different relationships um, between you know, individuals in the ecosystem as well as uh, understanding you know, um, how you know, people have relationships with Microsoft, um, It's in, especially in the enterprise space. And I spent a lot of time, in fact, all of my time at Microsoft has always been around commercial enterprise. I've never touched on a consumer product. Um, and that's been really interesting because uh, it, it's it, how, how things are measured, how Microsoft um, manages their relationships with customers really depends on the type of product that you have. Um, and in the world of dynamics certainly was very focused on industry solutions because things are very designed for manufacturing or financial services very specific so um, I spent a lot of time in the in the dynamic space and then I switched gears to another marketing role but actually switching from product marketing to audience marketing and I was focused on the SMB market small to medium-sized businesses uh, and that was really interesting because I, I uh, figured out that I suddenly had to be a, a, a jack of all trades across all the different products that SMBs cared about as opposed to focusing on one product and looking at all the segments. Uh, back in the uh, when I was in Dynamics, I would have to look at everything from SMB all the way up to um, major enterprise customers. So s s shifting axes, if you will, um, g gave me a lot of insight into uh, what a particular customer segment cared about. So learning a lot about small to medium-sized businesses, I learned that the way that Microsoft segments businesses, some of these larger SMBs, I would not think of them as small businesses at all. I mean, they have mm. an actual, you know, uh, CIOs and IT managers and, um, you know, uh, over, I think, over a 1,000 employees. That's still a large, significant business, you know. Mm. So um, that certainly got me a lot of uh, insight into how, um, how Microsoft sort of thinks of their customers. Um, but I really like that. I really like that, you know, if I spent time focusing on one particular audience and helping them uh, figure out what they needed in terms of uh, technology that's going to help them grow, help them um, generate more revenue, then that's, you know, going to be a, a lot more easier to palette than um, 
you know, just trying to like shove a product down people's throats, you know. Um, but ultimately, I, as I got, you know, spent more time uh, in the world of marketing at Microsoft, I was like, you know what, I really want to get to headquarters. So mm. uh, ultimately, I made the move and uh, moved to Seattle from Australia and uh, have been here since 2013. I started as a um, enterprise campaign manager. So this was a, a role that required me to uh, create campaigns for the Microsoft subsidiaries to uh, execute. Uh, that was basically took me away from anything that was customer facing. I was suddenly, you know, in the ivory tower, so to speak, and uh, had to do a lot of work in terms of understanding what campaigns would um, execute well with particular audiences from in places all around the world, from you know large uh, subsidiaries in the US to really small ones. You know, uh, UK is definitely not a small subsidiary, but let's just say mm -hmm. you know like Singapore. But even that, that like they all have different intricacies and different mm. um, ways of executing, different set of partners to execute. Right. So um, thinking about scale was really a challenge of that particular role. And then uh, after I um, spent some time uh, doing that role, then I moved uh, and worked for the Office 365 IT Pro team, which led me to the Microsoft tech community. And so a lot of these experiences combined, um, the scale one was really what drew me to uh, creating a new community, uh, ultimately became the Microsoft tech community because that had to be scalable. They had to scale not only to uh, audiences all around the world, but to stretch across multiple products to help um, people learn and understand and make mm. sense of all the different um, products and communities that were out there. So, you know, all of these different experiences, if you ask me as an intern or when I finish university, would I ever want to, like, lead a community? I wouldn't even know what that really meant. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I um, often talk to people about when it comes to career development is take all the things that really, get, you know, gave you energy, things that you were really passionate about, and eventually it will lead you to the place that you were destined to go to. Mm enough and when I say lucky lucky is luck is only a product of timing and um, when I say opportunity I mean a connection to someone who understands you understands what your strengths are could where and understands where you could thrive and if they if all those things line up then that's luck on your side because mm -hmm. uh, the job has opened up and you finally finally landed yourself somewhere that really uh, was able to exploit the best of your strengths, um, you know, to the benefit of, um, uh, you know, <laughs> the company, obviously, but certainly uh, what you want to do. Um, so, yeah, I, one of the things I've always told people is tell people what it is that you want to do, uh, even mm. if, like, just an inkling. If you yep. want to, you know, focus more on customers, great. If you want to focus mm. more on product, great. Tell people because then they'll have that little seed in their mind and think, yep. hey, maybe this is an opportunity for Rude to look into X or Y. I heard about this. I heard about, and Peter would be fantastic at it. Why don't you have a chat with him? Even if he's not looking, um, just to see whether he would be interested. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, that, that's great advice. Mm -hmm. uh, asking you shall receive kind of thing, right? Yes. You know, it, yes. it's like you said, it's planting the seed and mm -hmm. it's building your network, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And like you said, it might just be a passing comment. Oh, I'm really interested in yada, yada, yada. And mm -hmm. then as time goes on, your luck just lines up and whoever you had that conversation with, they know someone or they themselves are hiring in that kind of role. Uh, and that was interesting. One of the things you mentioned there, you mentioned that 
to you luck was a combination of what did you say was it was it timing plus kind of just your experience and having things line up right and Mm -hmm. i like that one because one of it's luck's a funny word right and it can trigger people in different ways and it kind of triggers me in a way when folks say oh you're so lucky and it's kind (laughs) of like yeah there's a lot of luck to it but there's also a lot of hard work and sweat and a lot of tears and all that kind of thing yes uh and it's there's what's seen and what's not seen right Mm. so from the outside looking in someone might look very lucky in their career but what you're not seeing is 12 hour days you're not seeing Mm. you know difficulties through their personal life because they're sacrificing to do their work things like that right Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. and i I guess where i'm kind of leading to with a question with this is obviously microsoft is, is a very respected company insofar as they they put a lot of focus on work-life harmony right Mm, but then also with on work you know working hard and delivering good products how do you find that balance therefore in in your line of work you know insofar as making sure that yeah we're working hard and we're delivering good stuff for customers but we're not killing ourselves while we're doing it Hmm. yeah that's an excellent question Rue, and something i've been ruminating on uh for quite some time especially as the way we've worked is completely shifted to 100 percent virtual uh, mm. And that's going to be the case for Microsoft for, well, I, don't, I can't remember the exact date, but it kept shifting, right? It was yeah. eventually going to go back to the office like in July and then became August and then September. And then then it's like, oh, if you really need to, you can. <laughs> Our campuses are open, but uh, we are recommending you don't. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, uh, man, there's there's a lot to unpack on that one just because, I have certainly killed myself on many an occasion to do my work. Mm. And uh, I think people do appreciate hard work, but they don't appreciate you killing yourself over in order to do it, for mm. sure. Um, with you, you, you do want to make sure that whatever you're spending your time, energy on from a work perspective, it's going to be, it, it's worth your time. Um, you, you learn as an intern um, you know, that you can easily get busy, you can easily say yes to every single thing, but not everything that you say yes to will result in um, an outcome that is going to serve you for your your next project or job or whatever it is. You want to make sure that you're spending the right amount of energy towards the right things. Um, mm. And one of the things that I certainly learned about was, you know, it's, it's important to do the work um, but the work will only shine if you uh, also work on your network as well. Um, you, mm. We all work with people. We can't work without people. Um, and so if you're not doing the work to preserve good relationships as well as uh, doing things to serve your own personal development, helping you learn, then you're just treading water. Um, you you don't really have a rudder and you don't really have a sense of direction of, of where you want to go. So always think of everything as a passage of time. You're always learning and you're always getting insights and things that will intrigue you. So um, as, as you are working hard, if you are getting energized about that work, great. You know, that's, that's awesome. Um, you may be working eight to eight days. I don't encourage that. But if it's something that you're mm. super passionate about but, and it, you know that it will help you towards your goals, I, I salute you. Um, but if it's if you're working eight to eight, doing something that you, you, when you wake up in the morning and you're just dreading opening up your computer, you mm. don't want to meet with your manager, you don't want to meet with your team, 
that's a sign that you're not putting your time towards the right places and you mm. should be looking elsewhere. But there are also assets that you have in your current job that allow you to move on to potentially your next role um, or to discover something new that you might be interested in. Um, I certainly, you know, if I look back at my career, I'm like there were lots of great things but there were lots of terrible experiences as well uh, and they, uh, you can still learn from those experiences. I learned about, you know, um, what great managers do. Uh, great managers for me don't micromanage. Great managers mm. are always there to, uh, you know, have a collaborative relationship with you they're not there to tell you what to do, but they're there to guide you uh, and, and you know, align you to the business objectives so that you can be more successful. They're not trying to get in your way. Well, bad managers certainly are trying to get in your way, but you should be able to find out whether they're working in your favour or not pretty early mm. on. Um, mm, I completely agree with everything you've just said there. Anna. Absolutely fantastic. And there are so many tools now within Microsoft. Oh, have we lost Anna? Oh, oh, I see. oh I'm here. I don't know why my camera shifted. <laughs> I see so, the camera now. Uh, I am going to try and fix that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll I don't just know keep what talking. Happened. Okay, no you, worries. Well, we troubleshoot the technical difficulties. But yeah, no. I mean, as you were saying, Pete, I, well, totally agree with you. And Pete was just saying he agreed with you. Completely. Um, you can definitely learn from the bad stuff as well, right? You know, it's uh, mm. you learn what kind of things you're looking for in a company. You learn what kind of things you're looking for in a manager. You know the right questions to ask. Oh, I think uh, we have lost Anna now. Oh, still lost you. Oh, yeah, device is not connected. Yeah. Oh, pause. There we oh, go. Here we go. Now. Okay. <clears throat> I. Oh, she's gone again. Up and down. <laughs> can you hear me okay? We can hear can you fine, hear you. yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to just have to kill this video. For some reason, Snap Camera really wants to be part of the party here, but um, <laughs> used to... Well, anyway, I've just had problems with Snap Camera. So if this is okay, just let yeah. me... Yeah, that, of that's course it is, yeah. Absolutely fine. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry about it. We, we always have some sort of technical issue on the show. Yeah. It's, it's, this, <laughs> so this is fine. No problem at all. We'll superimpose <laughs> some kind of embarrassing avatar or something like that over it. Oh, you, could, you know what you could do? You could use any one of those um, uh, photos of, of me from that uh, photo shoot that I did back well, in the day when I had purple hair. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> this I've was going to be one of my questions. Yeah, too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, do you get some kind of commission every time Microsoft uses your picture in a oh. in a in a marketing campaign? Because I, I really, I mean, yeah, you're an expert in everything. You can do Defender, <laughs> you can do Engine, you can do Power. You know, it's, it's this leads to a really a really good question, actually, because you're proving the point that these people are actually real people, and I often wonder who are these people. In, in the demo tenants like Adele Vance and uh, and, and Nesta Wyke and, and, and all those. Are they people who actually work for Microsoft who just volunteered or are they models or where do they come I from? Can, I can tell you some stories about that. So um, so not every single photo shoot that you've ever had 
uh, that we've ever had at Microsoft feature real people. Um, mm. Some of them are certainly just models that, you know, we hire through agencies and pose and look very businessy. You know, they're always like holding a device and talking, yeah. looking at a person, looking <laughs> yeah, like exactly. they're talking, listening. Um, so we've done a lot of things like that. Um, but from a demo tenant point of view, a lot of the names that you see when you're using a Microsoft demo actually are names of real employees. And the photos that you see, sometimes they are them, sometimes they're not. Most likely they're not them. Usually it's some stock photo. Um, mm. But tenants, the actual names, the personas uh, are real people. I can't remember any names off the top of my head, but I will always be surprised when I'm in a meeting, I'm like, that name seems really familiar. And then I realized I've seen that name at a Microsoft demo, at a Microsoft Ignite or something like that. I'm like, oh, so you're that person. And they're like, yeah, funny story. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's really funny. I think Megan Bowen's got quite a following, actually. She, she's, um, I think she might <laughs> yeah. even have her own Twitter page. There is there's a Twitter That's page right. for it. Yeah. I wonder if Megan Bowen was actually a real person. I'm going to look her up in the, in the uh, global Abs list to yeah. see. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, it's funny because you, you, uh, you grow a relationship with these fake demo users. I remember <laughs> once there was a, a Microsoft Mechanics demo video mm -hmm. of... Uh, I think it was a feature called communications compliance or something like that for Microsoft mm -hmm. Teams. And Nestor Wilk, if I'm getting the name right, in the demo tenants, yeah. he start he started swearing at Adele Vance and one of the demo tenants uh, <laughs> to demonstrate this compliance feature. And I've never yeah. been able to look at that account the same way since. I've oh, always, that's I've hilarious! Thought, he's, he's a bad guy because he did that to Adele. Mm. But <laughs> 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 that is so funny. I absolutely yeah. love that. I um, the communication compliance is such a great feature, actually. Um, one, one that I'm particularly interested in. But I'm, well, let's not go down a compliance discussion. Otherwise, we'll, <laughs> we'll be we'll be here all night. Yeah, we'll go um, down a black hole. <laughs> we'll go down a black hole because I love that stuff. But um, but yeah, fan fantastic. All oh, these are the sort of stories we like. But um, one thing you did mention on briefly as well when you were talking about your your amazing journey uh, to where you are today, Anna, is is that you relocated from Australia to the US? Can you just mm -hmm. tell us how how was that for you? Was that scary? Was that fun? Was that what 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 emotions did you feel? How did you adjust to that? Oh, emotions were high. I'll tell you that. Um, I was. I'll, I'll tell you this. After living and uh, growing up in um, Sydney, Australia. I was like, why would I want to move to rainy Seattle? Uh, <laughs> the, the beaches where, where there are sand are very limited to start with. Uh, mm. You hear about the rain and the dreariness all the time. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'll give the US two years tops and then decide whether I want to stay on and hey, look at me, I've been here for eight years now. So, um, so much for giving it a, a two-year run. But I've, I've really enjoyed my time in the US. Um, it's not without its faults. Um, I certainly feel that moving to the US has made the world seem a lot smaller. Um, mm. Australia is quite isolated and I never realised how isolated it was until I moved here. Um, you, you, when I ever, whenever I go back home, and pay attention to the news, uh, the type of news that they report on is very different to what the news reports are in the US. And it just makes you feel like the, the US does, uh, whether you like it or not, is kind of the centre of the the universe right now yeah, in terms of all the things that are happening, whether it's pandemic-related or political, geopolitical. Um, it is really... Um, it's a, it's a lightning rod for a lot of different uh, issues as well. So it's been interesting observing it from the sidelines, uh, certainly when a lot of the um, 
uh, you know, protests were going on around Black Lives Matter and amongst other things, people were asking me, are you okay? Are you, like, in the middle of the gun violence? I'm looking outside my window and I, all I see <laughs> is just someone mowing the lawn. That's as most, the most violence I can see. Um, mm. So that's not to say I'm isolated from it. I, I've certainly learnt um, how I behave and how I, I think about um people's identity, how I, you know, the political correctness of, of the workplace as well as just, you know, general interpersonal relations. I don't think mm. they're any different, but it's just that the level of tolerance for it is very different uh, if I compare Australian to American culture. Um, and I don't think that's, um, I would say that, you know, in Australian culture we are a lot more forgiving of it, but that's not necessarily a good thing. I think we've given uh, people a little too much leeway to uh, say what they want to say, whereas in America it's like, hey, you can say what you want to say, that's totally within my rights, but mm. um, it's, it's, there is a lot more consciousness about what the, the impact of what you're saying and, mm. and the impact of your behaviour on others. So it's, mm. it's been a very interesting uh, learning experience, especially in the last two years, I would say. Uh, oh, yeah. But I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. I still think I want to spend a lot more time in the US um, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And like you said, it is kind of the centre of the world, isn't it? Certainly mm. as far as culture goes, as far as tech goes, it's definitely yeah. the centre of our world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like, because for a long time I, I was interested in moving to the States. Mm -hmm. I used to be obsessed with the idea of moving to Texas and all that kind of stuff and coming <laughs> to lunch. And that's just because I lived in Scotland where the weather's always horrible and over there it's always nice but uh, it, and it's kind of like you know it would be like you just kind of think oh it's like it must be like living in Athens during you know uh, 400 BC and all that kind of stuff just because it is it's the center of the world yeah. everything spills out of America and into the rest of it doesn't it mm -hmm. uh, and there's good and there's bad but that's true of everywhere and yeah. at the end mm. of the day it's a massive country and I think I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts on this are from the Australian mm. perspective, but certainly in Britain, there's a degree of, uh, oh, what would the word be? Snobbiness, I guess, would be the mm. word, or a lot of condescension as far as, oh, America's all full of gun nuts and things like that. <laughs> and I go, I, again, I go back to the point where, you know, this is a country of 350 million people. Right. Uh, so if you see one bad thing on the news involving two people, statistically, mm -hmm. you know, let's not, paint a, a broad brush here mm, yeah i would 100 agree with your sentiment um uh, i certainly thought uh I, I i've been guilty of thinking americans were all one one and the same mm. but that's not true and even mm. the idea of united states is kind of a fallacy because it is a very divided country mm, um, and i don't think that that's unique to the united states i think you know no. if you look at the uk especially with brexit um oh, yes. australia is the same like right now like it's just kind of crazy with the amount of anti-vax sentiment. I never thought in my wildest dreams that there'd mm. be a growth in that type of, uh, in, in that sort of conversation. Um, when I was growing up, it was there was no question I had to get my mumps, measles, rubella vaccine. That was, that was just what I had to do to, you know, be a protected child. Um, mm. But nonetheless, like, you know, I think one of the things that's really important, and this kind of goes back to the sentiment around community, is that we have to recognise people as in, as as human beings first and foremost. Because um, and and if you, one of the things that's really been heartening, especially as I've been uh, working on community work um, during this time, is that you know it, it's something that bridges, uh, creates bridges across com communities all around the world. Mm. So you know, and I think it's really important that 
we don't just try and create our own bubbles and find people who are similar because we all, you know, uh, are white Americans or, you know, what some other type of, um, uh, you know, segmentation. If we are all united because we are equally passionate about uh, power platform, um, then awesome. You know, let's talk about that. And we can connect people from Saudi Arabia to the UK to Singapore to Australia, all focused on that. And if we can, you know, manage to um, create conversations with people all around the world because of this product, that's awesome because we are able to make these connections that m maybe these people never would have had if it wasn't for this technology. Um, and I think that's, you know, to sound a little bit Disney-esque. It certainly makes the world go around in that way. Mm. Um, and it's something that we need um, desperately because we're, people are feeling um, more isolated, feeling more disconnected, uh, and to know that there is someone else out there in the world who is mm. essentially, you know, working on a very similar project or having similar challenges on a, you know, in, in their workplace around, you know, adopting teams or whatever. If we can help them in some way, then hopefully that small element of goodness is going to you know help uh drive better connection and more positive energies around the way and that's me just being a hippie for five minutes <laughs> but still but there's something really important about that and um mm. and i just never thought that i would you know be this kind of you know uh feelings and emotions type of person in a tech company trying to mm. facilitate that kind of community connection but um uh, it's given me a lot of hope and um, faith in humanity um, and you know that's why you know for my next role I really wanted to make sure community was a big part of that and so I'm really glad I found myself here. Mm. I think we all just need to listen as much as anything to everyone else's point of mm -hmm. view and try and understand where people are coming from certainly you referenced yeah. Brexit in this country in the UK where where mm. we and I live has been incredibly divisive yeah. and, and and people just take a stand whichever side they're on and, and and say well you're wrong without really listening to what the other person's got to say about it yeah and um, there needs to be more of that coming together and listening and uh, and trying to understand um, and I think we need to get a bit better in this country certainly at uh, that sort of thing because from my perspective I don't know how you felt about this Rue I've always felt that we maybe don't come across the best as a nation across the rest of the world in terms of our sense of entitlement maybe uh, <laughs> we, we we we've we've got a bit about a bit of that about us and an example of that was very early on in the pandemic mm. um there, were, there, there was concern from our government that would the british public tolerate a lockdown for example would we mm. would, um and, and would we accept what was happening to us because a lot of people i was talking to at the time were that won't happen here. That's not the sort of thing that happens in Britain. That happens in other countries. That won't mm. happen to us. And there was a bit of an arrogance about us. So that that, that stirs yeah. me greatly. I think. Yeah. I think. In, in in my experience with with different discussions with different folks from different mm. countries, I think a lot of folks feel that way about their country. You know, mm. I, I don't know if it's kind of like we have this uh, self conscious thing about wherever we're from and how do other countries look at our country and things like that the mm. way i've always tried to approach it is the you know the, the lowest or the, the most unique minority is the individual right and you have mm. to judge people based on them as individuals and i mm. think as soon as you start making judgments or assuming abc about someone because mm. of xyz about someone mm. that's when it starts causing a little bit of problems and i 
try to stay away from those kinds of discussions. I like mm. to sit in my little uh, my little tech bubble and avoid the news <laughs> and politics and all that kind yeah. of stuff because it it can, especially on social media, I find it can breed quite a lot of a lot of tribalism, a lot of nastiness because it's easy to do it behind a computer screen, right? It's yeah. easy to say a whole bunch of stuff mm. uh, behind mm-hmm. a computer screen, but you step away from the keyboard, you go outside and you talk to folks. And kind of to your point earlier, Anna, where it's mm. like, well, there's something horrible going on in the news and you step outside and there's folk mowing the lawn, there's kids mm. playing. Mm. It can be easy to get angry and frustrated when you're consuming it all online, right? And it's been shoved yeah. in your face. Yeah. I like to just kind of take a step back, back and think, well, you know, we're a big world. There's a lot of nasty stuff going on, but there's also a lot of good stuff going on. Mm. And mm. that tries to keep me level because otherwise... I would, I'd end up being like a kind of political junkie and getting too involved in it. And I tried to take a step back from it all because yeah. I just don't think it's good for your mental health <laughs> in, oh, in a 100%. lot of cases. Yeah. It kind of goes back to the earlier discussion we had around work-life balance, right? Because mm. like a lot of these things can, you know, really weigh on your mind and be an absolute burden. And the more you ruminate on it, the more you, 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 pushing yourself down a spiral that is potentially very damaging. So, you know, I highly encourage people to, um, you know, do, what's the term, Uh, a digital respite, (laughs) I don't know, Um, being able Mm. to just, you know, unplug from screens and just spend time on, you know, uh, connecting with yourself or, you know, finding other ways to do it. Some people like to connect with nature. Um, Mm. Some people like to, you know, delve into their hobbies, Um, you know, because it's it's quite a – there is some level of toxicity around the current news. Um, The pandemic is a really tricky one because um, you can certainly say, hey, like this is, you know, your personal choice on, you know, how you uh, choose, whether you choose to vaccinate yourself or whether to choose a mask. But unfortunately, those choices have such an impact on everyone around them. Right. And so uh, you can't really isolate an individual for their opinion uh, because it does their behavior that connects to that opinion ultimately impacts everyone around them. So um, Mm. that I think of all the issues that have come to light in the last two years, this is something that has really driven I think even been more divisive than than everything Mm. else that's been going on because it's got a lot to do with you know more than just that individual's uh, choices so yeah it's I don't know to bring it back to Microsoft and products (laughs) 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 I find really interesting about you know how um you know thinking about Microsoft as a monolith and thinking of Microsoft as, as this one thing that, you know, people wanting to vex against. Uh, I'm reminded of a recent, um, uh, well, I don't know if this is a recent article, but it's an article that we published in the tech community that would draw a lot of ire from the community. And it was about um, modern commenting in Word. Uh, no joke, people were complaining that they didn't like the way that you could do co- sort of co-authored commenting oh, yeah. uh, through Word Online and thinking, you know, this is Microsoft being idiotic and nobody wants to do it this way. Uh, and ultimately <laughs> Microsoft's like, um, have you seen how other, you know, non-Word like word processing, processing cloud solutions are also doing this? 
it's just, it's just like, I'm sorry, but like, this is coming from the perspective of the product team. Like, you know, this is a feature that we have to do. It's, it's based on customer feedback. We looked at the telemetry. You guys don't have this data. Mm -hmm. This feature is not going away. Um, but like, there are certainly some choices when we, when we think about, you know, all the different feedback that we get from the community, like there, are, there are certainly some things that we have to do in order to, uh, and we, we have access to the data to know that certain features are working the way they want and are getting the uptake that uh, uh, is needed to really um, get that level of groundswell. Um, so sometimes we do have to take the feedback and go, you know what, like, this is something that we have to push forward with. But it's not because we just on a whim decided. It's because, you know, we want to enable better collaboration. We want to mm. enable, um, uh, you know, the features that are based on, you know, customer feedback. So, you know, trying to connect the, the conversation right now in terms of like, you know, <laughs> there there is a lot of divisiveness and, you know, certainly there are there's mm. conversations that people have with us say, hey, like, we don't know if Microsoft, you're going down the right direction, but um, we also understand what the overall vision is of the product and what's going mm. to, we're still a business ultimately, and we want to make our products grow and, and get more adoption around the world. So um, there are certainly unpopular decisions like that, but we also have to think, keep in mind, um, we, we want to keep our community thriving and certainly people who have been with the product for a really long time have certain agendas and, that's fine. There's no problem with that. Uh, mm. We certainly want to keep the, the the conversation going, and we want to maintain, yeah, listening. And, but um, we want to make sure that this is a two way conversation. And when mm. we do iterate um, on why we've made certain decisions, and we're not feeling like what we're saying is really re resonating with our community, um, sometimes we just have to call and say, like, and say, hey, like this is the decision we're making going ahead. It's not easy. Um, mm. We're trying to, and one of the things I've always tried to encourage teams to do is say, be your, be a human first. Like, don't hide behind, say, the product mm. team's alias because they don't know who you are. Then you're <laughs> only yeah. exacerbating the monolith idea of being a faceless uh, corporate mm. entity. If you are, like, you know, um, representing yourself, hey, I am representing the team behind this product. I am so-and-so. I'm Anna Chu. I look after this particular product. And this is how I really want to uh, be a PM. Uh, for Power Automate and Power Virtual Agents as well. So, you know, I'm Anatu. I am my own, you know, person. I'm Australian. I'm Asian. I am an immigrant. Uh, I am a daughter of immigrants. I am all these different things. I'm an intersectional person, but I'm also a representative of this product and I want to collect your feedback. I want to hear it. I want to take that feedback on, send it to the engineering team, see how it fits in our roadmap um, and, you know, be able to have the data to support all the things that you want to see in the product. And then mm. I want to have the conversation with the engineering team and say, hey, you know, this is what they want. And and I want to understand from their perspective, this is the vision that we have for these products. This is what we want to enable. This is what, how we want to see it connect to all these other products. This is what we see as, you know, uh, a potential, you know, user scenario and, and around AI or, you know, mixed reality. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just making things up at this point. But, <laughs> you know, if, once I can see that vision and, and relay it back to what our customer feedback is. Our customer feedback sometimes is, is usually mired in the present, sometimes mired in the past. Mm. I don't know how much of it can be 
uh, future oriented. I, I feel like our MVP community are really great at seeing the future vision, the RD community especially. And so I certainly uh, put a lot, take a lot of their feedback and and add that all together. I, I really want to, you know, collect all of that conversation. I know I'm at the intersection of it all. And if I can sort of relay the conversation back to the community, back to engineering, I think that we can create something really good from that. I don't know what it is. This, these are all abstract in, um, things that I've, I've gotten in my head right now, but I'm really excited about what's uh, going to happen next. Oh, I have a funny feeling you're going to do very well in your, in your new role, Anna. Uh, that, <laughs> I, I love the passion and excitement you've got for it and the human <laughs> aspect that, you, that you're injecting into that. So awesome. More power to you. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Um, one thing I do want to talk about very, very briefly, I'm mindful of time and, uh, and how valuable it is to you, uh, to all of us, is um, a little bit about the Microsoft events that, you, that, that mm. you've been involved with in your previous role, yep. the, the big events like Ignite and uh, Inspire and, and Build. And uh, if I'm forgetting any, I, I apologize. But um, <laughs> um, I know you've had a lot to do behind the scenes with those events. Can yeah. you tell us a, a little bit about that? And uh, Take us behind the scenes a little bit. Any funny stories? Anything that you mm. you can tell us about that? <laughs> I miss events so much. <laughs> I uh, I haven't been on a plane for so long. Mm. Um, I don't even know where my passport is at this point. But <laughs> one of the things that I like, I'm so grateful that I had an opportunity to be part of events because that was the only avenue that allowed me to meet people in the community in person. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was able to foster relationships that way. Um, there's something that you can never take away from an in-person interaction. Uh, as mm. much as I've only ever, I feel like I've only interacted with Peter virtually. Um, mm. But, you know, if I met you in person, like it would, I would actually, you know, see how you present. And I, I, I'd really see the relationships that you've uh, fostered through the local community that you have because you'd introduce me to people in the community. Like I've never met Rue before. And that, but we can also do this virtually, of course, but it's just a little different. Um, yeah. But, yeah, behind the scenes with community at events, um, I was usually tasked with leading that particular work stream and uh, my uh, agenda for that was always we need to have community voices. We do all this work in collecting all of the different speakers from Microsoft to present this breakout or be part of this keynote. And I'm always the one with my hand raised saying, what about community? How do we make sure that community mm. voice is present at this event? Because mm. um, from a, uh, speaking from a Microsoft point of view, it's really important we have that, that community perspective because you guys keep it real. You, t you give the audience um, real-life examples of how these products work. You share best practices. You are able to provide an objective point of view. As much as, you know, we uh, love to, um, you know, um, share, you know, Microsoft's point, it's still Microsoft. We're still a corporate entity. We're still going to be, you know, play, paying the company line. And I always want to make sure that to, in order to give value to the people who are taking time away from being at the desks, from their family to attend these events, that they're getting value from, you know, real talk that comes from the community. So mm. um, uh, a lot of the work that I did with community was focused on Microsoft Ignite as well as Microsoft Ignite the Tour um, mm. to get people to, uh, from the local community 
to share their, you know, um, stories through theatre sessions, through breakouts, through community voices that are in Microsoft Breakouts. Um, so that was something that I really enjoyed um, and it was a lot of work. Um, <laughs> I can tell you, you know, all of the stories around, you know, having to, you know, navigate through uh, uh oh man, where do I start? Like just even finding speakers and learning mm. about different languages and cultures and, and understanding, you know, uh, what social media platforms actually resonate better in order to get the message out there. Like I learned in Brazil, right. it's actually Instagram more than anything else. Yeah. Um, in, and uh, all the different, um, you know, like, and, and seeing people's person, like, cause let's be honest, like learn, um, being in the Microsoft tech community, I was really only able to, support English uh, speaking communication uh, and until when once I actually was able to go to different places like Japan, Brazil um, and, and you know different parts of like Western Europe as well that I realized that we need to better foster um, international um uh, connection through community. Mm. So that's why we enabled all of the different languages that you can see in the tech community, um, French, German, Spanish, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Brazilian, Portuguese, to name a few. Um, so, yeah, like that was certainly a big part of it. Um, I will say there are definitely lots of um, personalities that you meet. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had to staff a booth at an event before, but you definitely get someone who ends up like spending a whole 20 minutes of you complaining about everything that Microsoft <laughs> has ever done wrong. And I'm like, uh, you know, sir, madam, I can't help you with this particular issue. Do you want to talk to an engineer? Let me walk you to someone who can actually, you know, <laughs> help you with this. But then I realized that some people actually don't want to be helped. They just want to vent. And, yeah. you know, even if it takes 20 minutes of my time at a booth when I could be answering someone else's question, if, I, if they need me to be the person they vent to, fine. I'm happy to be that person. Um, it may not net me anything tangible to do but you know if they just need someone to talk to that's okay I think we all need to have some kind of connection but I, I really hope that like my like by hosting these events we are able to solve people's challenges with technology that's the really the whole point yeah. of mm -hmm. all of this you know um the travel is fine the travel is fun but you know like the, we're doing it for a reason we're doing it in order to help people connect with someone at microsoft i'll tell you this i used to do events even in australia and um australia is a very big country as well um kind of roughly the size of texas or maybe even bigger uh, i can't remember what the quote is but um there were we once traveled to perth which is a one of the most remote cities in australia and we didn't expect so many people to turn up and that's because they're just not used to Microsoft turning up to their, their part of the world. Um, once we turned up, then, like, we would get pounded with questions about, you know, uh, BPOS at the time and uh, was what was called Windows Azure at the time, not Microsoft Azure. Mm -hmm. um, it was just yeah. because, like, you know, th these people would usually spend hours on, like, customer support hotlines or uh, and just never get an answer from, from Microsoft. And to actually find someone who represented that product to answer questions for them then and there, um, the immediacy and urgency just uh, was really uh, highlighted how much help people need when it comes to learning about our products. So um, 
I really see events as like a, a lightning rod for, you know, community interaction. But the, it, we can't do events forever and we certainly would, you know, uh, rack up a huge expense bill <laughs> if we did that. Um, so, you know, doing things like uh, online community uh, really helps us scale um, because, you know, like while Microsoft is trying to answer a lot of the questions, we also need the community to come uh, and, and provide some of the uh, more what's the word I'm looking for, um, objective point of view and, and opinion to help others uh, with their challenges. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it's interesting because you mentioned that point about event budgets and things like that. And obviously <laughs> putting on events like Ignite, I, I shudder to think at what the kind of budget for something like Ignite is. And that kind mm. of brings me, how, how do you see the future then? Because is the future going to be we have these massive events again? Because obviously there's there's a lot of interest for that again and folk yeah. talk about how we're going to have this thing like, you know, the, the roaring 20s again because everyone just wants to get out and do stuff after being locked in their houses <laughs> for two years. Do, do you think right. that will go back to it? Or, or do you see more hybrid events where the scale is a little bit smaller and you're leveraging tools such as Teams to then have them online in large part? Oh, I will tell you this, um, the appetite for hybrid events is high as soon as we see vaccination rates increase, as soon as we see the number of cases go down. But the mm. moment that the, both of those things, vaccinations are increasing to the rate that we'd like to see, new cases are uh, increasing with different variants of the coronavirus, the the conversation of hybrid uh, is no longer um you know comes into the picture we yeah. stay with virtual uh, and mm. that's the plan for the upcoming ignite event in november as well we are having a fully digital event again yeah. um, but there was talk of hybrid only a month ago i'll tell you that just because there was a lot of hope um mm. but yep. as soon as that goes away like like basically we cannot do in-person events until we can safely host them um if I, I shudder to think of a the super spreader event that could happen if we ran another Microsoft Ignite as it was, um, yeah. that's just not that's just not going to happen. So um, yeah, like I, I think you know one of the things that one of my last um, projects I did on the on the tech community was Tech Community Live, um, and that is an a, an event that happened on the tech community that allowed for the community to ask questions live in the tech community, see our experts on camera in you know virtually, and get their questions answered that way. Um, we are doing more and more to enable that kind of connection because we we need to have something in lieu of these in person events, um, a, a place and time um, for people to ask their questions. Uh, and and make it be live as well as you know um, feel like a, a, the best that we can um, mm. to be an in person event. Mm. Mm. I think there's a need to cater for everybody as well. I, I think mm. the, the 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 virtual events have been absolutely fantastic. I think thank goodness for the technology that's been available to support right. that as well. If this, if yeah. this pan pandemic had hit ten years ago, we would be in a far different position. But uh -huh. um, so but speaking as I'm a bit of a contradiction in terms because I'm, I consider myself an introvert, but I'm an introvert who never shuts up. So am I, <laughs> am I, am I really an introvert? I don't know. But if, if given the choice, I, I, I think I prefer virtual to in-person, but, but then mm. I do like in-person as well. But there's a lot of people who, who won't want to give this up. I know a lot of people who have, have, have actually thrived on this and, and enjoyed it and, and are actually quite scared about getting back out into the community. And we have to look yeah. after those people as well and, can, and consider how we take care yeah. of them and, and, and give them 
and don't just say, right, that's done now. You've got to go back to the way it was. So mm-hmm. yeah. interesting lessons to be learned. Yeah. Yes. It, it's a good point because everything folks have been through for the last 18, 19, 20 months, that, that's, uh, that's changed a lot of folks, right? And there will mm. be a lot of nervousness going back to in-person, both in terms <clears> of health and safety, but also just it, it, like the socialness can get a bit exhausting in a way, right? You know, it's mm. funny because you haven't seen your friends and family for so long, and then all of a sudden they join you and it just it, it can be quite draining, at least mm-hmm. to a lot of folks in tech who are, like you said, Pete, maybe a bit more introverted, right? Yeah, yeah. Introversion is really about where you get your energy, the introversion and extroversion. If you mm. get your, uh, it, I don't know, I, I feel like everyone's had to shift in their preferences because we've had to spend a lot of time with ourselves. And the moment that we get a chance to interact with anybody, albeit virtually, um, suddenly we just, yeah, like you say, Peter, we don't shut up because it's suddenly, oh, someone's going to listen to me and someone's going to hear <laughs> all of my ramble, ramblings, um, which is fine. Um Going back to, so I'll tell you this, it, when it comes to um, running an event, if the trouble I have with hybrid is that is it, it, it's kind of only half of, you know, the best of in-person and the best of virtual. I'll, I'll explain why. It's because, you know, when it comes to oper- make, creating an event, it's all about, it's still about people. Ultimately, we all do work with people. And if you're asking the same person to, to do the event in person as well as hybrid, mm. you are asking them to do twice the work. Uh, and that's from a perspective of doing the in-person interaction as well as supporting the virtual interaction. Yeah, so good point. If you, I feel like you've got to do one or the other. Hybrid is really tough because you're you're going to have to actually use double the resources. Mm. I will, uh, my opinion. This is just an opinion. I don't think we at Microsoft Ignite did the did. You could say that they were kind of hybrid because there was some type of streaming of the in-person experience, but that's what it was. It was streaming of the in-person experience. It wasn't trying to support a virtual experience wholly. You couldn't really interact in the same way as you would in an in-person experience as you would a hybrid, so um, a virtual rather. So I, I have a lot of opinions about this. I'm very aware of time as well. We could have a whole another episode about hybrid events. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm not yeah, an definitely. expert at it, but I have opinions. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. You know, it's uh, if you try to cater for all audiences, then sometimes you end up not catering for any of them, right? And yes. you don't deliver the best experience. Absolutely. Get, exactly. get it. Well, in, so in the name of time, let's start wrapping this up. But before you go, we have the obligatory question we need to run past everyone. Uh, just because we're keeping a running tally here of something <laughs> very, very relevant to all our careers. Uh, I hope you're a movie buff because the question we ask every guest is, uh, as far as the Terminator series goes, the greatest movie series ever created, uh, Terminator 1 versus Terminator 2, where do you stand on this significant oh, issue? I wish I had seen these questions a lot earlier to watch both of them and be able to assess them. But I will tell I am a Terminator 2 uh stalwart through and through. Like I I really I don't know why. I don't I like even remember I mean I do remember Terminator 1, but Terminator hmm. 2 just like resonated with me. Not resonated, it just like stuck with me a lot more. Um uh, ultimately I was a teenager at the time and I really had the hots for Eddie Furlong. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but there was that. Um but I don't know. Like I feel like uh how many years was it between the two movies? 
it was quite a bit. I don't think it was in consequential. Yeah. Five, yeah, it was six, nine, seven years, something like 84 that. 84 and 91, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. So was it kind of like a bit of an Arnie comeback? Or like it just seemed like the like Arnold Schwarzenegger had a resurgence in his career mm. because of that movie. I don't know. I'm just trying to remember like the Predator. Um uh, sort of timeline. I don't know, but I mean, he's had a, an amazing career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like I'm just for for me, it's always Terminator too. Like if I had a choice, like without even watching either of the trailer and just going back from memory, I would choose to watch Terminator Two over Terminator One. Absolutely, great yeah. answer. That is the correct answer. Really <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I will say this: I have been on a bit of a tear when it comes to dystopian movies as of late. Um, I rewatched Blade Runner. Ooh, I rewatched nice. uh, and I've watched some recent ones. Um, someone recommended uh, I watched The High Rise on on t- on um, Twitter the other day, and that was excellent. Mm. Um, I've watched a lot of like uh, I watched Sphere the other day, and I will say this: it is a terrible movie from a dialogue perspective. It does too much of saying, "Oh, so this is why we need to press this button because of X explanation mm-hmm. of science fact." Like, I don't need to just tell me a story. I don't need to understand how this works from a scientific perspective, you know. Yep. So, but it had a great cast. It had Sharon Stone, Samuel L. Jackson, Dustin Hoffman. It had everything going for it. The script was just terrible. So, yeah, Ooh, there you go. What a shame. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of these kind of dystopian action movies that the dialogue, they, it just doesn't age so well, right? In your head, mm-hmm. you're thinking back, and you're like, oh, that was amazing when I watched it when I was 12 years old. And then you go back mm-hmm. and watch it, and it's kind of like, hmm, this is a bit. <laughs> one, one that uh, I really, one that I really love is um, well, I don't love all of it, but I love the start of it. It's twenty eight days later, just because uh, of that, that oh, yeah. atmospheric walk through London that Killian uh, Murphy does with that mm-hmm. haunting music and the bus on its side. After yes. that, when it goes a bit zombie, like I'm a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I do love that movie. I do love that movie. It's like I, I love anything that uh, Danny Boyle does. So yeah, excellent. Choice. Oh, he's so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I guess we'll give you back some time. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. That was really, uh, really illuminating discussion. Uh, I guess good luck as well with your new role. Not that yeah, you really need absolutely. It, but uh, absolutely. I hope everything goes goes well. However, the role turns out to be. Yeah. Uh, and like Pete said earlier, whoever steps into your show's shoes in terms of being that that figurehead at the top of tech community, they've got uh, pretty big boots to fill. So good luck <laughs> to them as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Do keep in touch with us, Anna. You're always welcome back. We'd, we'd love to have you back on again. Um, oh, I'd love maybe, to be back on. Maybe next time we'll get you visually for the whole time rather than a <laughs> pulsating white dot for the second half. So yeah. um, <laughs> I'll grab some of the marketing pictures and dot them in when we're yeah in that's a challenge for you Ruth. You can do that. oh my gosh but, i can't um, wait to see that That'll be is, is there anything you'd like to say before we, we go though anything else you'd like to say or, or how people can reach you on twitter linkedin if they want to get in touch yeah, I, um, I'm going to get back onto Twitter. So you can find me at underscore A-Chu. So that's underscore A-C-H-U. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about this role. I'm really excited to um, reconnect with the Power Addicts community. I met mm-hmm. many of them um, through a lot of the uh, Ignite the Tour um, cities that I went to. So, 
excited about my uh, journey into engineering. Um, I really look forward to um, reconnecting with community as well. I'm so mm. happy to have met you, Rue, and to reconnect with you, Peter. Uh, there's certainly a lot more that I have to say in the coming months. So uh, I would love to be back on your show for sure. And I might even like swing some people in your direction as I start to connect with more people um, in the Microsoft engineering side of things. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Please, please do. Please do. That yeah. is great. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. We shall let you go and enjoy <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, congratulations again. Good luck in the role. Rue, congratulations again on everything. Yes, MVP. congratulations, Rue. Thank so you. Deserved. Cheers. So deserved. Now you're going to you'll spend the next month drinking from the fire hoses. There's a lot of information <laughs> going to come your way. So <laughs> drink it in. Yep, drink <laughs> but, it in. Um, but thank you all for joining us. It's it's been a pleasure to to be in your company as ever. We will wrap this one up and see you on the next exciting episode of Cloud Conversations. And we might just have some interesting news for you very soon about where Cloud Conversations is going. So I'll leave you with Ooh. that. That's a uh, little tidbit. Um, <laughs> and you make of that what you will. But take care, all, and we'll catch you down the road. Bye bye. Awesome. Cheers, Thanks guys. So much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.